0: Welcome to Tom Reads Books, the podcast where, whatever you're doing, I take you on an adventure through some of literature's most loved treasures. If you do enjoy the podcast, make sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and also check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash Books, where I release two exclusive episodes every week of a completely different book, full audiobook versions of all books read, and you can help choose future books for me to read. Now though, I'd like to invite you to settle in. Relax. And let me tell you a story. Wuthering Heights. by Emily Bronte. Chapter 10 At the close of three weeks, I was able to quit my chamber and move about the house, and on the first occasion of my sitting up in the evening, I asked Catherine to read to me, because my eyes were weak. We were in the library, The master having gone to bed, she consented, rather unwillingly, I fancied, and imagining my sort of books did not suit her, I bid her please herself in the choice of what she perused. She selected one of her own favourites and got forward steadily about an hour. Then came frequent questions. Ellen, are not you tired? Hadn't you better lie down now? You'll be sick keeping up so long, Ellen. No, no, dear, I'm not tired, I returned continually. Perceiving me immovable, she essayed another method of showing her disrelish for her occupation. It changed to yawning and stretching and, Ellen, I am tired. Give over then and talk, I answered. That was worse. She fretted and sighed and looked at her watch till eight and finally went to her room completely overdone with sleep, judging by her peevish, heavy look, and the constant rubbing she inflicted on her eyes. The following night she seemed more impatient still, and on the third, from recovering my company, she complained of a headache, and left me. I thought her conduct odd, and having remained alone a long while, I resolved on going and inquiring whether she were better and asking her to come and lie on the sofa instead of upstairs in the dark. No Catherine could I discover upstairs, and none below. The servants affirmed they had not seen her. I listened at Mr. Edgar's door. All was silence. I returned to her apartment, extinguished my candle, and seated myself in the window. The moon shone bright, a sprinkling of snow covered the ground, and I reflected that she might, possibly, have taken it into her head to walk about the garden for refreshment. I did detect a figure creeping along the inner fence of the park, but it was not my young mistress. On its emerging into the light, I recognised one of the grooms. He stood a considerable period, viewing the carriage road through the grounds, then started off at a brisk pace, as if he had detected something and reappeared presently, leading Mrs. Pony, and there she was, just dismounted and walking by its side. The man took his charge stealthily across the grass towards the stable. Cathy entered by the casement window of the drawing room and glided noiselessly up to where I waited her. She put the door gently to, slipped off her snowy shoes, untied her hat, and was proceeding, unconscious of my espionage, to lay aside her mantle when I suddenly rose and revealed myself. The surprise petrified her an instant. She uttered an inarticulate exclamation and stood fixed. My dear Miss Catherine, I began too vividly impressed by her recent kindness to break into a scold. Where have you been riding out at this hour? And why should you try to deceive me by telling a tale? Where have you been? Speak. To to the bottom of the park? She stammered. I, I didn't tell a tale. And Nowhere else, I demanded. No, was the muttered reply. Oh, Catherine, I cried sorrowfully. You know you have been doing wrong or you wouldn't be driven to uttering an untruth to me. That does grieve me. I'd rather be three months ill than hear you frame a deliberate lie. She sprang forward and bursting into tears, "'threw her arms round my neck. "'Well, Ellen, I'm so afraid of you being angry,' she said. "'Promise not to be angry and you shall know the truth. "'I hate to hide it.' "'We sat down in the window seat. "'I assured her I would not scold, whatever her secret might be, "'and I guessed it, of course. "'So she commenced. "'I've been to Wuthering Heights, Ellen.' and I've never missed going a day since you fell ill, except thrice before and twice after you left your room. I gave Michael books and pictures to prepare Minnie every evening and to put her back in the stable. You mustn't scold him either, mind. I was at the heights by half-past six, and generally stayed till half-past eight, and then galloped home. It was not to amuse myself that I went. I was often wretched all the time. Now and then, I was happy, once in a week, perhaps. At first, I expected there would be sad work persuading you to let me keep my word to Linton, for I had engaged to call again next day when we quitted him. But as you stayed upstairs on the morrow, I escaped that trouble. And while Michael was refastening the lock of the park door in the afternoon, I got permission of the key and told him how my cousin wished me to visit him because he was sick and couldn't come to the Grange, and how Papa would object to my going. And then I negotiated with him about the pony. He is fond of reading, and he thinks of leaving soon to get married, so he offered, if I would lend him books out of the library, to do as I wished. But I preferred giving him my own, and that satisfied him better. On my second visit, Ninton seemed in lively spirits, and Zilla, that is, their housekeeper, made us a clean room and a good fire, and told us that as Joseph was out at a prayer meeting, and Harriton Earnshaw was off with his dogs, robbing our woods of pheasants, as I heard afterwards, we might do what we liked. She brought me some warm wine and gingerbread, and appeared exceedingly good-natured, and Linton sat in the armchair, and I in the little rocking chair on the hearthstone, and we laughed and talked so merrily, and found so much to say we planned where we would go and what we would do in summer i needn't repeat that because you would call it silly one time however we were near quarreling he said the pleasantest manner of spending a hot july day was lying from morning till evening on a bank of heath in the middle of the moors with the bees humming dreamily about among the bloom and the larks singing high up overhead and the blue sky and bright sun shining steadily and cloudlessly. That was his most perfect idea of heaven's happiness. Mine was rocking in a rustling green tree with a west wind blowing and bright white clouds flitting readily above, and not only larks but throstles and blackbirds and linnets and cuckoos pouring out music on every side and the moors seen at a distance broken into cool dusky dells but close by great swells of long grass undulating in waves to the breeze, and woods and sounding water, and the whole world awake and wild with joy. He wanted all to lie in an ecstasy of peace. I wanted all to sparkle and dance in a glorious jubilee. I said his heaven would only be half alive, and he said mine would be drunk. I said I should fall asleep in his, and he said he could not breathe in mine, and began to grow very snappish. At last we agreed to try both as soon as the right weather came, and then we kissed each other and were friends. After sitting still an hour, I looked at the great room with its smooth, uncarpeted floor, and thought how nice it would be to play in if we removed the table, and I asked Linton to call Zilla in to help us, and we'd have a game at Blind Man's Buff. She should try to catch us. You used to, you know, Ellen. He wouldn't. There was no pleasure in it, he said. But he consented to play at ball with me. We found two in a cupboard among a heap of old toys, tops and hoops and battle doors and shuttlecocks. One was marked C and the other H. I wished to have the C because that stood for Catherine and the H might be for Heathcliff, his name. But the brand came out of H and Linton didn't like it. I beat him constantly and he got cross again and coughed and returned to his chair. That night, though, he easily recovered his good humor. He was charmed with two or three pretty songs, your songs, Ellen, and when I was obliged to go, he begged and entreated me to come the following evening, and I promised. Minnie and I went flying home as light as air, and I dreamed of Wuthering Heights and my sweet darling cousin till morning. On the morrow I was sad, partly because you were poorly, and partly that I wished my father knew and approved of my excursions. But it was beautiful moonlight after tea, and, as I rode on, the gloom cleared. I shall have another happy evening, I thought to myself, and what delights me more, my pretty Linton will. I trotted up their garden and was turning round to the back when that fellow Earnshaw met me took my bridle and bid me go in by the front entrance. He patted Minnie's neck and said she was a bonny beast and appeared as if he wanted me to speak to him. I only told him to leave my horse alone or else it would kick him. He answered in his vulgar accent. It wouldn't do much hurt if it did, and surveyed its legs with a smile. I was half inclined to make it try. However, he moved off to open the door, and as he raised the latch, He looked up to the inscription above and said, with a stupid mixture of awkwardness and elation, Miss Catherine, I can read you now. Wonderful, I exclaimed. Pray let us hear you. You are grown clever. He spelt and drawled over by syllables the name. Harrington Earnshaw. And the figures, I cried encouragingly, perceiving that he came to a dead halt, I cannot tell them yet, he answered. Oh, you dunce, I said, laughing heartily at his failure. The fool stared with a grin hovering about his lips and a scowl gathering over his eyes, as if uncertain whether he might not join in my mirth, whether it were not pleasant familiarity, or what it really was, contempt. I settled his doubts by suddenly retrieving my gravity and desiring him to walk away, for I came to see Linton, not him. He reddened, I saw that by the moonlight, dropped his hand from the latch, and sculpted off a picture of mortified vanity. He imagined himself to be as accomplished as Linton, I suppose, because he could spell his own name, and was marvelously discomforted that I didn't think the same. Stop, Miss Catherine, dear, I interrupted. I shall not scold, but I don't like your conduct there. If you had remembered that Harriton was your cousin, as much as Master Heathcliff, you would have felt how improper it was to behave in that way. At least it was praiseworthy ambition for him to desire to be as accomplished as Linton, and probably he did not learn merely to show off. You had made him ashamed of his ignorance before, I have no doubt, and he wished to remedy it and please you. To sneer at his imperfect attempt— was very bad breeding. Had you been brought up in his circumstances, you would be less rude. He was as quick and as intelligent a child as ever you were, and I am hurt that he should be despised now because that base Heathcliff has treated him so unjustly. Well, Ellen, you won't cry about it, will you? she exclaimed, surprised at my earnestness. But wait, and you shall hear if he conned his ABC to please me, and if it were worth while being civil to the brute. I entered. Linton was lying on the settee and half got up to welcome me. "Uh, I'm ill tonight, Catherine, love, he said, and you must have all the talk and let me listen. Come and sit by me. I was sure you would break your word, and I'll make you promise again before you go. I knew now that I mustn't tease him as he was ill and I spoke softly and put no questions and avoided irritating him in any way. I had brought some of my nicest books for him. He asked me to read a little of one, and I was about to comply when Earnshaw burst the door open, having gathered venom with reflection. He advanced direct to us, seized Linton by the arm, and swung him off the seat. Get to thy own room, he said in a voice almost inarticulate with passion, and his face looked swelled and furious. Take her there if she comes to see thee. Thou shalt keep me out of this. Be gone with you both. He swore at us, and left Linton no time to answer, nearly throwing him into the kitchen, and he clenched his fist as I followed, seemingly longing to knock me down. I was afraid for a moment, and I let one volume fall. He kicked it after me, and shut us out. I heard a malignant crackly laugh by the fire and turning beheld that odious joseph standing rubbing his bony hands and quivering ah, were you sure he'd sowed you out he's a grand lad he's getting great spirit in him <laughs> he knows how he knows as well as we do who should be master yonder <laughs> he made you skip properly <laughs> where must we go i said to my cousin disregarding the old wretch's mockery. Linton was white and trembling. He was not pretty then, Ellen, oh no. He looked frightful, for his thin face and large eyes were wrought into an expression of frantic, powerless fury. He grasped the handle of the door and shook it. It was fastened inside. If you don't let me in, I'll kill you! If you don't let me in, I'll kill you! He rather shrieked than said, "'Devil, devil, I will kill you, I'll kill you!' Joseph uttered his croaking laugh again. "'There, that's her father,' he cried. "'That's father, we've all heard something on the other side in us. "'Never heed our it, lad. "'Don't it be feared he cannot get at ye. Eh? I took hold of Linton's hand and tried to pull him away, but he shrieked so shockingly that I dared not proceed. At last his cries were choked by a dreadful fit of coughing. Blood gushed from his mouth and he fell on the ground. I ran into the yard sick with terror and called for Zilla as loud as I could. She soon heard me. She was milking the cows in a shed behind the barn, and hurrying from her work, she inquired what there was to do. I hadn't breath to explain. Dragging her in, I looked about for Linton. Earnshaw had come out to examine the mischief he had caused, and he was then conveying the poor thing upstairs. Zilla and I ascended after him, but he stopped me at the top of the steps and said, I shouldn't go in, I must go home. I exclaimed that he had killed Linton, and I would enter. Joseph locked the door and declared I should do... no such stuff. And asked me whether I were... Bound to be as mad as him. I stood crying till the housekeeper reappeared. She affirmed he would be better in a bit, but he couldn't do with that shrieking and din, and she took me and nearly carried me into the house. Ellen, I was ready to tear my hair off my head. I sobbed and wept so that my eyes were almost blind, and the ruffian you have such sympathy with stood opposite, presuming every now and then to bide me, wished and denying that it was his fault, and finally, frightened by my assertions that I would tell Papa and that he should be put in prison and hanged, he commenced blabbering himself and hurried out to hide his cowardly agitation. Still, I was not rid of him when at length they compelled me to depart, and I had got some hundred yards off the premises. He suddenly issued from the shadow of the roadside and checked Minnie and took hold of me. Miss Catherine, I'm ill grieved, he began, but it's rather too bad. I gave him a cut with my whip, thinking perhaps he would murder me. He let go, thundering one of his horrid curses, and I galloped home more than half out of my senses. I didn't bid you good night that evening, and I didn't go to Wuthering Heights the next. I wished to, exceedingly, but I was strangely excited, and dreaded to hear that Linton was dead sometimes and sometimes shuddering at the thought of encountering Harriton. On the third day, I took courage. At least, I couldn't bear longer suspense and stole off once more. I went at five o'clock and walked, fancying I might manage to creep into the house and up to Linton's room, unobserved. However, the dogs gave notice of my approach. Zilla received me and saying, The lad was mending nicely showed me into a small, tidy, carpeted apartment where, to my inexpressible joy, I beheld Linton laid on a little sofa reading one of my books. But he would neither speak to me nor look at me through a whole hour, Ellen. He has such an unhappy temper, and what quite confounded me, when he did open his mouth, it was to utter the falsehood that I had occasioned the uproar and Harriton was not to blame. Unable to reply, except passionately, I got up and walked from the room. He sent after me a faint, Catherine! He did not reckon on being answered so, but I wouldn't turn back, and the morrow was the second day on which I stayed at home, nearly determined to visit him no more. But it was so miserable going to bed and getting up and never hearing anything about him, that my resolution melted into air before it was properly formed. It had appeared wrong to take the journey once. Now it seemed wrong to refrain. Michael came to ask if he must saddle Minnie. I said yes, and considered myself doing a duty as she bore me over the hills. I was forced to pass the front windows to get to the court. It was no use trying to conceal my presence. Young master is in the house said Zilla as she saw me making for the parlour. I went in. Earnshaw was there also, but he quitted the room directly. Linton sat in the great armchair half asleep. Walking up to the fire, I began in a serious tone, partly meaning it to be true. As you don't like me, Linton, and as you think I come on purpose to hurt you and pretend that I do so every time, this is our last meeting. Let us say goodbye and tell Mr. Heathcliff that you have no wish to see me, and that he mustn't invent any more falsehoods on the subject. Sit down and take your hat off, Catherine. He answered, You are so much happier than I am. You ought to be better. Papa talks enough of my defects and shows enough scorn of me to make it natural I should doubt myself. I doubt whether I am not altogether as worthless as he calls me frequently. And then I feel so cross and bitter, I hate everybody. I am worthless, and bad in temper, and bad in spirit almost always. And if you choose, you may say goodbye. You'll get rid of an annoyance. Only, Catherine, do me this justice. Believe that if I might be as sweet and as kind and as good as you are, I would be as willingly and more so than as happy and as healthy. And believe that your kindness has made me love you deeper than if I deserved your love. And though I couldn't and cannot help showing my nature to you, I regret it and repent it and shall regret and repent it till I die. I felt he spoke the truth and I felt I must forgive him, and though he should quarrel the next moment, I must forgive him again. We were reconciled, but we cried, both of us, the whole time I stayed, not entirely for sorrow, yet I was sorry Linton had that distorted nature. He'll never let his friends be at ease, and he'll never be at ease himself. I have always gone to his little parlour since that night, because his father returned the day after. About three times, I think, we have been merry and hopeful as we were the first evening. The rest of my visits were dreary and troubled, now with his selfishness and spite, and now with his sufferings, but I have learnt to endure the former with nearly as little resentment as the latter. Mr Heathcliff purposefully avoids me. I have hardly seen him at all. Last Sunday, indeed coming earlier than usual, I heard him abusing poor Linton cruelly for his conduct of the night before. I can't tell how he knew of it unless he listened. Linton had certainly behaved provokingly, however it was the business of nobody but me, and I interrupted Mr. Heathcliff's lecture by entering and telling him so. He burst into a laugh and went away, saying he was glad I took that view of the matter. Since then, I have told Linton he must whisper his bitter things. Now, Ellen, you have heard all, and I can't be prevented from going to Wuthering Heights except by inflicting misery on two people, whereas if you'll only not tell papa, my going need disturb the tranquility of none. You'll not tell, will you? It will be very heartless if you do. I'll make my mind up on that point by tomorrow, Miss Catherine, I replied. It requires some study, and so I'll leave you to your rest, and go think it over. I thought it over aloud in my master's presence, walking straight from her room to his and relating the whole story, with the exception of her conversations with her cousin and any mention of Harriton. Mr. Linton was alarmed and distressed more than he would acknowledge to me. In the morning, Catherine learnt my betrayal of her confidence, and she learnt also that her secret visits were to end. In vain she wept and writhed against the interdict, and implored her father to have pity on Linton. All she got to comfort her was a promise that he would write, and give him leave to come to the Grange when he pleased, but explained that he must no longer expect to see Catherine at Wuthering Heights. Perhaps, had he been aware of his nephew's disposition and state of health, he would have seen fit to withhold even that slight consolation." I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Tom Reads Books podcast. If you'd like to support the show, leaving a rating and a short review on whatever podcast platform you're using really goes a long way to help us reach new listeners. Other than that, I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to reading to you again very soon.